So, this is the self-development with tactics. Book. So, this is gonna be my last recording, I think third or the fourth recording of today. And we are once again gonna talk about philosophy. And um, 12 Histories Greatest Philosophers Reveal the Secrets to Happiness by the businessinsider.com site. And it is an article by Chris Weller, Tech Insider, from May 18th, 2016, 8.01 p.m. And I'm actually very interested in um, what it's gonna be all about and, and what I'm gonna find and yeah so let's see a well-stoked netflix queue uh, can go a long way toward pure and utter happiness but sometimes there's still something missing for those moments it can help to fall back on to the wisdom of history's greatest thinkers uh, kierkegaard socrates toreo and the buddha here's what philosophers discovered about happiness long before orange became the new black there is no path to happiness happiness is the path in Gautama buddha alive around 500 bc Similar, the mantra that the journey is the destination, the Buddha's take on happiness puts the greatest emphasis on people finding fulfillment in the experiments of living rather than arriving. There is no ultimate end goal. For the Buddha, we make our happiness along the way. Which I believe should also be the case. Like, of course, you can get to a certain place and you can be in a certain place and, and so on and so on and so on. But, very big, but um, I don't really think that you should be starving and hurting and feeling really bad and then hoping that when you arrive at your goal, your end destination, that everything is going to be fine and everything is going to be amazing. You know, what if it's not amazing? You've fucked quite a lot of time and energy and, and life. Of all forms of caution, caution in love is perhaps the most fatal to true happiness. Bertrand Russell lived in early 1800s. It's out of character for someone like Bertrand Russell, a lover of mathematics, science and logic, to dabble in something so negotiable as happiness. His idea that happiness can be found in the surrender to visceral feelings of love rings true and contemporary science seems to be on his side. I think it's actually a pretty good case as well, like, I don't know. Love. Happiness is the feeling that power increases, that resistance is being overcome. Friedrich Nietzsche, alive in the late 19th century. For Nietzsche, the famous mustachioed nihilist, happiness is a kind of control one is a kind of control one has over their surroundings. The German philosopher wrote frequently on the impact that power and lack of power can have on people's lived experiences. When people resist, they take back their agency that sense of self can then turn into happiness. Mm -hmm. The next one is by Socrates. The secret of happiness you see is not found in seeking more, but in developing the capacity to enjoy less, which is a fucking important thing, I would say. You know, being grateful for what you have and appreciating what you have and and finding joy and seeking enough in, in what you have is incredibly important. For Socrates, one of the greatest Asian thinkers, happiness doesn't come from external rewards or accolades. It comes from the private internal success people bestow upon themselves. By paring down our needs, we can learn to appreciate simpler pleasures. The next one is Plato, the man who makes everything that leads the man who makes everything that leads to happiness depends upon himself and not upon other men has adopted the very best plan for living happily. 
It's no surprise that Plato's Socrates' student defines happiness like his teacher. Plato's version of happiness is a form of personal growth. It's deriving satisfaction from achievements, running a faster mile, reading more books than last year, not for what those accomplishments can earn you. Uh, well, I don't actually see what they say in, in the quote. The man who makes everything that leads to happiness depends on himself and not upon other men has adopted the very best plan for living happily. I would just say that being in control and knowing that you are and developing the skill of understanding that you are in control of your life, your destiny and, and whatever is ultimately going to make you happy. This is what I, I don't know how much it's just different from what they said, but yeah. The next one is by Aristotle, a life in ancient Greece around 300 BC. Happiness depends upon ourselves. By the time the message got to Aristotle, Plato's students, the idea of happiness had solidified into something we nurture on our own. It is not a gift other people or things can give to us. In other words, it's something we create from within and have a responsibility to protect. John Stuart Mill. I have learned to seek my happiness by limiting my desires rather than in attempting to satisfy them. Born in 1906, which is something kind of similar that, wh whom was it? Socrates said, I think. John Stuart Mill was a titan of liberalism, perhaps its most important figure in history. He spread the gospel of liberty wherever he could. When it came to happiness, he adopted the wisdom of the ancient Greece. Instead of inundating his life with goods, Mill believed in utilitarianism. He believed in using things for a purpose, and if they served no purpose, they banished them from his life. Or he banished them from his life. And it is um, very minimalistic, you know. And there is there is some minimalists nowadays that are kind of thinking in these terms as well. And, you know, I, I can't be mad at them. I think it just really makes sense. It kind of... I think it is a good thing. You know, this is what I want to say. I think it is a good thing. The more man meditates, and this is by Confucius, the more man meditates upon good thoughts, the better will be his world and the world at large. Meaning positive thinking and and once again being in control and you are in control because what you think and what you have in your mind is ultimately going to change what your life is going to be like. And yes, I do believe that this is totally the case. You know, we can really um, fuck ourselves quite, quite a bit. And another quote that I absolutely love is, we suffer more in imagination than in reality by Seneca. Yes, I think it's amazing. I really believe it's amazing. Confucius' sentiment about happiness has echoed through history. By the way, let me check something. Let me check something. It should be fine. Such as the power of positive thinking and recent research in cognitive behavioral therapy, which seeks to help people see the, co the connections between their thoughts, feelings, and behaviors. According to a Confucian mindset, happiness is a self-fulfilling prophecy that replicates itself the more we find reason for its existence. And I mean, in general, being unhappy is one of the worst things you can be, which is also something to keep in mind quite, um, because, um, I don't know, I mean, uh, like feeling bad and having a bad life and getting ill because of that and feeling worse and, and, and all of that stuff, like, no, not amazing, just because I didn't really think the day was going to include Seneca, born in Hispania in 4 BC. The greatest blessings of mankind are within us and within our reach. A wise man is content with his lot, whether it may be, without wishing for what he has not. 
Beloved by contemporary philosophers, nerds like the investor Nassim Taleb and marketing whiz Ryan Holiday, the stoic philosopher firmly believed in what psychologists would now call the locus of control. For some people, the locus lives externally. They feel like outside forces guide their actions. For others, in Seneca's mind, the happy ones, the locus lives within. And I also believe in that. You know, because we can change quite a lot of things and we are in control in a lot of things. Lao Tzu lived around 600 BC in China. If you are depressed, you are living in the past. If you are anxious, you are living in the future. If you are at peace, you are living in the present. Translated by simply as old man, nobody is quite sure who Lao Tzu really was. But the figure's wisdom on living in the moment has transcended millennia. And psychologists uphold its benefits. Some research suggests people report the greatest happiness when they are engaged in things that require their full and present attention, good conversation, creative tasks, or sex. And yes, I would definitely also say so. I am the happiest when I am just living in a moment and, and fully embrace that. Soren Kierkegaard, early 19th century philosopher. Life is not a problem to be solved, but a reality to, a reality to be experienced. Which is also amazing. Before there was the Stella mashed up Twitter account Kim Kierkegaard there was the Danish philosopher who inspired it. Kierkegaard was of the mind that happiness comes from being present in a moment and enjoying the right. Once we stop turning our circumstances into problems and start thinking of them as experiences, we can derive satisfaction from them. Then we have Ori David Thoreau, or Henry David Thoreau, born in Massachusetts, 1917. Happiness is like a butterfly. The more you chase it, the more it will elude you. But if you turn your attention to other things, it will come and sit softly on your shoulder. Perhaps unsurprisingly, the transcendentalist author and advocate for civil disobedience took a passive approach to happiness. He, as he detailed in Walden, which I've actually read, and also there's a summary on the podcast, um, Thoreau preferred to break convention. He avoided habit. Perhaps through the commitment to randomness, he thought he could find some larger, more cosmic sense of happiness. The idea aligns nicely with other thinkers. Message to live in a moment. Reads the original article on Tech Insider. Da, 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 da. I do quickly want to check out this locus of control. Nits.miamio.edu Might be just linking that down in the description. I don't actually know. Let's see. Locus of control is defined as an individual. Generally, it's actually one of the ugliest websites I've been on in quite some time. Anyway, defined as an individual's generally generalized expectancies regarding the forces that determine rewards and punishments. Individuals with an internal locus of control view events as resulting from their own actions. Persons with an external locus of control view events as being under the control of external factors such as um, luck. For example, a person with an internal locus of control will attribute the failure to meet a desired goal to poor personal preparation, whereas one with an external locus of control will attribute failure to circumstances beyond the individual's control. The way individuals interpret such events has a profound effect on their psychological well-being. If people feel they have no control over future outcomes, they are less likely to seek solutions to their problems. The far-reaching effects of such maladaptive Maladaptive behaviors can have serious consequences, which has led many social psychologists to examine the origin of locus control and its impact on the social world. Control is a concept that plays an important role in several psychological theories. It is central to Seligman's 1975 probability analysis of control, theories of learned helplessness, uh, Rotter's 1954 social learning theory, 
Weiner's 1986 Attributional Analysis of Motivation and Emotion, and it is the key concept in Bandura's 1977 Self-Efficiency Theory. Well, I should actually read the whole one. I don't actually want to, but yeah, let's do it. <laughs> let's do it. Selingman 1975 has defined the concept of control most explicitly. He defines an event as controllable when a person's voluntary response have an impact on the consequences of that event. By contrast, an event is considered to be uncontrollable when no voluntary response has an impact on the event. For example, the weather, motherfucker. For example, when an organism receives electric shocks regardless of its efforts to stop them, the electric shocks are uncontrollable to the organism. However, when the organism has the ability to prevent the shocks by pressing a button, the shock is considered to be controllable. Uh, Seligman explains his analysis through a mathematical approach. He views controllability as a function of two parameters. The first parameter concerns that probability that an event, e.g. the determination of a shock, will occur when a certain voluntary behavior is performed. The second parameter concerns the probability that the event will occur in the absence of the perspective or respective action, so pressing the button. Referring to these two parameters, Seligman defines an event as controllable when the probability of its occurrence is the presence in, in the presence and in the absence of the response under consideration are equal. For instance, um, when the shock is, deter is determined in 100% of the chase cases, uh, when the organism presses the button, the determination of the shock is 100% controllable. However, loss of control exists when there is a lack of a contingency between behaviors and outcomes. This can lead to motivational, emotional, and cognitive deficiencies. Such deficiencies can be traced to the discovery that loss of control leads to learned helplessness, a state similar to depression. Seligman 1975 assumes that experiences of uncontrollability, such as the loss of a loved one, can lead to an expectancy that future events will also be uncontrollable. This expectancy leads to learned helplessness and depression. Thus, according to this theory, depressed individuals differ from non-depressed persons and that they tend to expect to be unable to control events. However, in certain situations, lack of control can be can lead to a quite different psychological state known as reactance. Wirtman and Brem, 1975, again argue that the initial response to uncontrollable outcomes is an increase in motivation and performance in order to attempt to regain control. Thus, the child that experiences the death of a loved one may be motivated to become a doctor so that he or she can treat patients with similar problems and prevent the same thing from happening to other loved ones. The effects of uh, reactants are limited, though... Wirtman and, and Brem theorized that when perceived uncontrollable experiences continue to arise, the state of helplessness uh, is likely to emerge. Research within the framework of Rutter's 1954 social learning theory is not primarily concerned with the conditions that learned the led to uncontrollability. Instead, the psychological consequences of the belief that one can or cannot control the causes of events is the focus of his similarly uh, of his work. Although Rutter takes a different angel to angle. To approach this topic, he defines control quite similarly to Seligman. He states that an individual has an internal locus of control if one perceives that the event is con contingent upon one's behavior or relatively permanent um, characteristics, whereas external locus uh, of control is characterized by the belief that reinforcement is perceived as not being con contingent upon action to learn more about social learning. Theory click here. This phenomena is exemplified through the relatively stable personality disposition of internal versus external locus of control. Internal locus of control leads to typical shifts in expectations of success following success or failure. Those who succeed have increased 
expectancies following success and decreased expectancies following failure. Individuals with an external locus of control show more atypical expectancy shifts. They exhibit decreased expectancies of success following success and increased expectancies expectations of success following failure. In Weiner's 1986 attributional analysis of motivation and emotion, the concept of controllability plays a central role in evaluative interpersonal actions. He postulates that observers' reactions to actors who experience failure, sickness, or need for help are largely determined by the perceived controllability of the causes of these events. Attributions of failure to controllable causes such as lack of effort leads to anger, punishment, and reduced willingness to help, whereas the belief that the actor has no control over the cause of the negative event. Um, for example, a beggar who appears to be capable of finding work is unlikely to get many handouts because passerby will attribute this his state to being lazy. However, a blind beggar is likely to get more uh, donations because people will attribute his blight to forces beyond his control. This will lead them to pity the beggar and make them more likely to exhibit helping behavior. But I've, I think, skipped one line for less or no punishment. Such a failure due to lack of ability leads to pity, help giving, and to less or no punishment. If you're having an outer locus of control or external locus of control. Uh, Bandura 1986 examined aspects of the self that influence self-regulation. His research examined the effects of self what efficiency beliefs or the expectations that people hold upon their ex abilities to accomplish certain tasks. Whether or not they will undertake a particular activity, attempt to do a particular task or strive to meet a particular goal depends on whether or not they believe we will be efficient in performing those tasks. In other words, if individuals believe they have control over future events, they uh, then they will attempt to exert that control in order to achieve a positive outcome. If does not matter, it does not matter whether an outcome is or is not attainable. The perception of the control determines if one will try to maintain it. For example, if one believes that it is in her control to meet an extremely difficult goal, such as getting started, uh, getting straight, as in school, she will try to get them, even though uh, the for example, if one believes that it is hard to meet extremely difficult goals, such as getting straight, as a control, she will try to get them, even though she adds uh, the odds may be against her. On the contrary, one may drop out of school because she does not believe it is under her control to determine if she passes her classes, even though passing grades may clearly be within her realm of abilities. Therefore, locus of control has a significant impact on Bandura's self-efficiency theories and how individuals' expectations shape the goals they set for themselves. Locus of control is a concept that has a significant effect on our daily lives. Those with an external locus of control believe that their own actions do not influence future outcomes. This makes individuals less likely to work to reach their full potential due to the motivational, emotional, and cognitive deficiencies uh, deficits it creates. In fact, people with an external locus of control are more likely to suffer from depression and other ailments because they believe their actions cannot improve their current position. Those with an internal locus of control see the world through a more adaptive perspective. They believe that hard work and personal abilities will lead to positive outcomes. This makes them more likely to meet challenges and succeed in their future endeavors. Even though one's action may not have anything to do with an outcome, the belief that they do can greatly aid one's psychological well-being. Therefore, those that attribute a sense of personal responsibility for their future thoughts and aspirations are much more adapt to living in the social world. 
I think a pretty amazing article. Really. Is it cut off this shit? I don't hope so. Well, still a pretty amazing article. I hope that I'm able to just share some things that are of importance to you. But I'm going to end the episode there. So I wish you the best health of happiness and all success. And also hope that you're going to remind yourself and you're going to be remembered. Basically, means your legacy basically means just being a nice person. And being remembered as a nice person is a pretty, like, pretty nice and fucking cool thing. Three other questions that I have for you are why are you here? What are you trying to change? And what is bothering you the most? These three questions are hopefully going to show you your purpose and maybe even a business idea, which is a pretty fucking cool thing. One last thing that I want to share with you is what could you essentially say or communicate to another person that's indeed gonna change their life because i totally believe that we all can say something we all can communicate something that's indeed gonna change somebody's life maybe for a second maybe for a minute maybe for an hour but maybe just even their life you know but yeah with that being said please take care of your loved ones your family members and all of your friends and of course yourself i'm hopefully gonna see you next time bye bye sorry for making it so fast but i actually want to eat something um and yeah it's already quite late and i have to just get done with things you know also because i actually have to do some things today you know i don't know why but i have been a bit not that uh efficient with my time i guess so bye bye